the home of smart people, insightful board gaming commentary, and Luke Hector. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. The Broken Meeple, Season 2, Episode 24, Awards. It's been a while since the last podcast episode, but I got reasons, and good ones at that. Once I'm done groveling from there, I will then talk about my recent experience at Aircon in Harrogate, and then go on to discuss the 12th Annual Golden Geek Awards. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of The Broken Meeple. Thank you for tuning in. Yes, it has been a while since the last time. I believe the last podcast was after HandyCon back in January time, and that was basically giving an overview of that convention. Well, what's happened since then? Two things. Firstly, work for me is busy, busy, busy to the point where stress becomes a health issue. I have to conduct and coordinate an audit during the period for sort of February, March, and April, and during February there is a ton of prep a ton of field work, a ton of just about everything you can imagine. I have to effectively do two roles for the price of one in half the time it would take someone normally. This is something I have to deal with in my role in my job and I can't really avoid it. But it does mean that February becomes a bit of a problem house with regards to time because I'm having to do extended hours. Occupational hazard is what you have to deal with as an accountant within a retail company. But oh well, needs must. But that is going to start mellowing out a little bit now for March and April. The worst is over, so now hopefully that will free up some time and I won't have to do so many extended hours. On top of that though, I recently had a PC calamity. I upgraded my PC to Windows 10 and upgraded a ton of the components. I've got a Coffee Lake i7 processor, I've got a 1070 GTX GPU still, I've got an M2 SSD, well, you're not here to listen about PC components, but put it this way, it's now a pretty powerful PC and should help me with regards to video editing. The problem was though, when I upgraded, I didn't realize exactly how Camtasia stores the library assets for all my videos. Now the assets are basically those introductions and closing, you know, the closing uh, montages and various other sort of memes and images and things like that, music files, stuff like that, that I use for all my videos and my podcast. Unfortunately, I thought they were all on a separate drive. Well, for the most part, they were. Unfortunately, it turns out it stores a hidden folder on the main Windows drive and a simple copy and paste backup strategy for your Windows drive isn't enough to copy them over. So when I set up my new PC, I had Camtasia ready, but it couldn't find the assets from the original slots and there was no way to retrieve them. So unfortunately, it meant that I had to take time out from videos and podcasts from pretty much everything really and spend several evenings recreating all the intros and all the outros. Yeah, that took some time. However, I hope you enjoy them because you will start seeing them in the YouTube videos to come. You'll see some more streamlined intros and outros. You'll see some like changes to the format. And soon, you're going to see me doing board game app 
playthroughs now. Yes, I said that two new things I wanted to do for this pod... Sorry, not this podcast, but Broken Meeple in general, was to do solo playthroughs and to do app playthroughs. Well, solo playthroughs are still going to take a bit of a while to get uh, sort of practice with the apparatus and really see where that can go, but I can make a start soon on the solo app playthroughs. This is basically where I mirror my tablet to my PC or I download an app on Steam and I essentially play through the app. I'll play through the tutorial mode if it has one and then there'd be a separate video for the actual main game. The idea being that you'll basically be able to see the app in operation on my screen while my webcam records my video with me and my gaming headset on. This will allow me to record voice. But it will also allow you to hear the game and see how it progresses and just watch me enjoy some games, really. You know, these apps are getting more and more popular, you know, Asmodee Digital and Dized and all sorts of different providers are providing apps for board games and they're proving very popular. But it's time to actually play through them and see what I think of them. Now, they're not necessarily going to be reviews of the whole game. That's not what I'm here to do. What I'm thinking more is that it would just be a nice bit of light entertainment. You can see how the app fares out. You can see how the tutorial mode works. You can see how the app plays. And you can just watch my reactions and just see me play a game. Whether I lose badly or win spectacularly, doesn't really matter. I'll be having a blast and hopefully you'll have fun watching those as well. So they're going to start in the very near future. I already have the introduction and closing uh, montage videos ready. All I've got to do is set up some apps and get some downloads and just get playing. So hopefully you'll see those soon and I hope you like them. I'll appreciate all feedback you can give. So without further ado, let's actually get on with the podcast at heart. The two things that have happened recently, firstly, Aircom. Aircon has been another fun convention for me. This is a convention run by Mark Cook and his gang up in Harrogate in Yorkshire. And it is probably, I would say, the second biggest convention the UK has. I mean, don't quote me on that. But from what I gather from numbers and size and scale, I would say it's the second biggest below the UK Games Expo. And nothing in the UK is going to overtake the UK Games Expo anytime soon. But this is essentially kind of a mixture of you know styles of conventions because you get some which are like gathering of friends and you get some which are trade fairs well this is a bit of everything you've got obviously a lot of gaming space so it's a lot of gathering of friends but you've got events you've got tournaments you've got some exhibitors you've got some demo play testers you have a board game library you have a bring and buy it's got a bit of everything really it's a good jack of all trades and i would certainly say that this is one of the most family friendly conventions i've seen and witnessed really some people bring their kids along or some people bring their young you know young players along but you can just see that it's more for accessibility gamers here this isn't one that you would go to if you want to play like something huge and monstrous and 18xx style games i mean you probably could if you found a room or a table for it but it's not what it's there to do what it seems to do best is welcome new gamers into the hobby, and particularly those who haven't played a ton of games. You have a library that's pretty well stocked that allows you to chop and change you know, between different games. The exhibitors and retailers all, you know, for the most part, are selling family weight games and entry level games you know, at pretty decent prices, I have to say. 
and even the tournaments and various things that go on are more to do with the sort of friendlier games rather than the big monster meaty games. That's not to say that you can't go there and play, you know, a seven-hour game of the colonists or, you know, a three-hour game of a Great Western Trail or Terraforming Mars. I mean, Terraforming Mars did see a couple of plays there, but it's not really the focus of the convention, and I like it more for that. The city of Harrogate is a great place, I've got to admit. It is picturesque, it is scenic, it has got some fantastic restaurants. I had a, uh, an evening meal in a, I think it was the Royal Baths, Royal Baths building. It was a Chinese restaurant, and whew, it was expensive, but the service, the food, the atmosphere, fantastic. That is a good Chinese restaurant to go to, one of the best I've ever been to. Can't say enough good things about it. It was a fantastic night. In fact, I've still got some red wine from there. I'll have to drink some of that later when I catch up with some of my superhero TV shows. Anyway, this isn't supposed to be about alcohol. Come on, family friendly here. This convention was a bit of a special case, though, because normally when I go to a convention, I go by myself. I meet up with friends, I meet up with people from other blogs and stuff like that, and this was no exception. I'll get onto that a bit later. But this time, I've been seeing a girl for the last couple of months, and she's getting into the games that I play. Not like a full-time gamer or anything, but she's intrigued by them. She likes things that test her brain, you know, and get her to think strategy-wise. And she's been intrigued by the games that I've taught her so far, and she's enjoyed it. So she made the, you know, the pledge to me, can I join you at Aircon this year? So I did. I rearranged my hotel accommodation and found room for, you know, my girlfriend to join me. This was a first for me. None of my previous girlfriends have ever been that interested in my gaming hobby. So, well, <laughs> you can imagine the surprise on my face when someone actually is taking a decent interest in it. I don't expect, like, a girlfriend to have be a full-time gamer, but just for them to actually want to try games for a change, that's definitely a gear shift for me. So I brought my girlfriend along, and that meant that rather than playing meaty games, I focused more on lightweight entry-level games. That's the style of game I brought. It was the style of game that I took from the library. It also meant that aside from some group games, I was predominantly playing two-player games with her because, well, I am trying to ease her in gently into the hobby because this is a completely new thing for her. And she can be quite indecisive, so it does mean that I have to be patient when it comes to waiting for my turn. But... It was a great experience for her. She really enjoyed the convention. I enjoyed the convention. It was a nice change. You know, I'd, I'd had a really hard week at work. I was, like, pretty much stressed and worn to the bone, and my brain cells were just gone. So to be able to spend a good, solid weekend at Aircon playing lightweight games, nothing too meaty, nothing too strenuous, and just enjoy myself and relax. And I really needed it. It was a great time. And I couldn't, you know, thank Mark and his gang more for just getting that convention and building up the way they have been. We played several games, you know, particularly entry-level games like uh, Azul and Sushi Go Party. Uh, let's see, what else? Um, uh, Baron Park and Codenames Duet and uh, Takinoko. You know, basically games that are either gateway or next step games. And we found a few that, you know, she really liked. And so we're going to repeat play those more. I mean, she quite liked Azul. Uh, she particularly liked uh, Sushi Go. That was a good favorite of hers. So it's like, great. And don't underestimate how good Sushi Go is to play with two players. It's a very interesting tug of war back and forth game. Now, granted, I win more of the games than she does, but it just eggs her on to 
you know, play better and, you know, defeat me at other games. And to be fair, in her defense, we she has beaten me a couple of times so far. She she beat me fair and square in a game of Carcassonne that I showed her. We were four points in it. It was a very tight game and very proud of her for that. And I'll get on to the other times she won a bit later. So in terms of the people I met, well, there were all sorts there. I mean, Paul Grogan from Gaming Rules is still doing his thing with CGE games and, you know, demoing lots of stuff to people. Uh, Rodney from Watch It Played was a special guest at the convention. I'm very surprised he came all the way from Canada to be at this convention and do other things in the UK. But, hey, fantastic. Finally got to meet him. And he is just a sound person. If you think that, you know, he just puts on a persona for his videos, think again. This is how he acts in real life. He might have a slightly different voice, you know, you've always got that different voice behind the camera, but though he is just generally a happy-go-lucky, friendly person. That is exactly what he's like. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't look like the sort of person that would get angry. He's just very passionate about the hobby, very passionate about teaching games, and it's just a breath of fresh air when you're playing games with him. And I finally did get to, I mean, uh, we had a... Probably the best highlight of the convention was Paul Grogan teaching myself... Uh, Rodney Smith, um, Efka and Elaine from No Pun Included, uh, Mark Cook is himself, and also Michael from uh, Two Can Play That Game. We all sat down and played a couple of games from CGE, one of both of which were kind of like future prototypes. First of which was a game that used to be called Sherlocked. It is going to be something completely different in the future, so don't quote me on that name. But essentially, this felt to me like a cross between code names and concept. And some of those other like clue giving games and it was just you know it was a solid laugh you essentially had a clue word and you flipped over these tiles and cards that gave you themes and you know questions and stuff like that and you had basically had to try and give as many clues to the rest of the party it's a co-op to guess the word that you've just read however you've got all sorts of weird things like you know plotting what size is it you know saying what um you know, is it man-made? Is it natural? Uh, quoting from certain cards, like, you know, is it an object? Is it is it a type of feeling? You know, that sort of thing. And like I say, it's a cross between concept and code names in that regard. You essentially go through several rounds and you, you, you have a rating system that you can give to the other players to say how close was your answer. And eventually you work out all the various clues and you win the game that way. So it's a neat little thing. I enjoyed myself, and that was a solid game and a good experience. But what sold it to me, oh, what really sold it to me, was Pictomania. This is a Vlada Shavatel game that's either already out or very soon about to come out. It's like nearing that end of production cycle. And this is essentially Pictionary if you actually did it right. This is a, co a competitive game where you have clue tiles that come out, and you get some cards, and it dictates what you're going to draw. Now, there's a bit of a twist. You have to draw the clue word there, and you will get points for players guessing your thing right. However, on the, on the other end of the scale, you also have to guess what the opponents have got, and this all happens in real time. So you have to hurry up and draw your various picture, whilst also guessing what the other players have. And you do this by frantically sticking number cards down on their piles. So the quicker you do it, the more points you get if you're right. So there is a time aspect to it. And everyone's frantically, you know, trying to get cards around and drawing their thing. But, and it, it, it rewards being able to draw well, sort of. 
but not quite, because I can't draw my way out of a paper bag. I suck at drawing, my art skills are horrendous. Many people who have watched me play Telestrations, or Pictomania in this case, or any other type of drawing game, will you know adhere to the fact that I can't draw for Toffee. Well, it didn't matter in this game, because I ended up winning it at the end of the day, and it didn't. It wasn't because I drew well. You know, you can draw badly, but still get the idea of what clue you're giving, because they they are on a there's a list of them out in front of everybody. So by process of elimination, when you guessed the number clues for other players, because there's a fixed number of cards that you have, you know, so if, if you've already given away the number two card in your hand because you thought, oh yeah, it's number two, it's an apple, that's the clue, then you know it's not going to be number two for the other players. So you can sort of eliminate even bad drawings to an extent. But on top of that, if you're good at guessing what the opponents have and doing it fast, you'll get a lot of points that way. This was just hilarious. I never thought I would enjoy a Pictionary-style game as much as this. It is like when you take the bad part of Pictionary, the whole thing of if you can't draw well, you suck and your team will suck. You take that aspect out and then just tweak it a little bit and you get Pictomania, essentially. But it works. We had so much fun laughing at each other's drawings, frantically passing cards around, comments about various drawings for particular clues, particularly mine, and uh, I think Efker had some amusing drawings as well. I mean, there was a great conversation about how you know Rodney and I called him out where he'd drawn essentially a pint glass for, I think it was a, what was it, a pub, or that was a clue word. And then the next card, he had to draw a brewery, and he pretty much drew the exact same picture as he had before. All he did was change one, like the, the window from the previous picture, into a crude looking factory in the next one. So it was literally a rinse repeat. But there was so many good, there's so much good banter, so many good comments. I've never laughed so much in a board game for a long time. It was just such an enjoyable experience, and definitely my highlight of the convention. On top of that, there were two panels that I attended. One I was a guest on, which was Polyhedron Collider's kind of like, you know, FAQ section, I guess. Basically, people submitted questions to them and all of us, and we just answered them. They were drawn out of a hat, and I swear, they literally rounded up 10 people at the bus stop to get these questions, because there wasn't a huge variety in people asking the questions, but hey-ho, it was still a good laugh. Uh, loads of guests were on. I mean, we had on, you know, a good, like... Eight to ten different guests, including myself, on on top of Polyhedron Collider, and it was just a blast. I mean, we all just sat down, answered the questions, had a good laugh, we bantered, we argued, we debated, and you know, I believe Two Can Play the Game is going to put up the video, and Polyhedron Collider will put up the audio for that. So be on the lookout on their blogs, and you will see more from that. I believe I sat on for the second half of the video. It was a great experience and I would love to do those again. I love doing panels. The other panel I wasn't a guest on, but it was the Top Tips for Teaching Games panel that Rodney Smith and Skip That Rulebook, Gaming Rules and Two Can Play That Game were hosting. This was essentially a kind of seminar lecture where they gave tips on teaching games. So they drew on from experiences, you know, the, their methods, their styles, pitfalls to watch out for, and people submitted questions and ideas themselves. It was pretty informative, you know, some of it was kind of rinse repeat for me because I'm used to teaching games quite a lot, but I still managed to grasp some interesting concepts from there, particularly with regards to how I shall teach games to my girlfriend now, because she very much learns by doing. 
I can't just unload all the rules to a game to her straight away because she will forget them. So I now have to adapt my style of teaching, which is usually unloading the rules ahead of time, you know, unless they aren't necessary after you've gone a round or two in, you know, then I hold back. But I need to get used to this idea of doing pra practice rounds and writing off the first game as a learning game for my girlfriend, and she will hopefully learn some more games easier from me. So that's the style I'm going to adopt, but it was a very useful panel in general. So yeah, basically all in all, Aircom was a blast. You know, it's getting better every year. You know, it started off the first time I went it was just a small, tiny little convention in a what was a, it was just a small building. It was pretty cramped. It was very tiny, but it was nice and cozy. Now it's been in the uh, Harrogate International Centre for what's it second year running now, and. It's, is it the second or third time it's been in there? I forget. But it's just getting better and better. I mean, we had a big enough space last time, and this time we got even more space. In fact, I, th I think there was probably more space than was actually required, which is never a bad thing. But it was not like you had to walk miles to get from A to B. You were just at the other end of the room. So, kudos. I don't think they need to expand it any more, though. I think there was more than enough space to play games there. So I don't think they need to go nuts. Maybe just include a few extra exhibitors now and again. You know, the Bring and Buy worked fine, sold a few games on there, and just generally had a good time. I saw a lot of people that I don't see very often. It was good camaraderie with everyone. Meeting Rodney Smith for the first time was definitely a blast. You know, it's kind of like, they say never meet your heroes, but, you know, I think now and again it's worth meeting them just to at least, you know, play games and shake their hand. And on top of that, even managed to play another game of Dice Hospital with Rodney Smith and my girlfriend included. And that was the second game that she won. She actually beat us at Dice Hospital. Granted, with a bit of hand-holding, but still, she beat us fair and square, just with a little bit of guidance from the designer who was there. So, can't really knock it. She's learning. She's learning fast, and I look forward to showing her more games. But again, playing with Rodney Smith and other players was just a blast. So, Aircon, another thumbs up from me. I honestly urge anybody who's been tempted to go to this convention in the past and has kind of hesitated, they're not entirely sure, honestly, give it a try. Next time, I believe, they're only doing it once a year, so March will be the next time they do this. You know, March, early March, Harrogate, I know it's a trek. I mean, come on, I drive five hours to get to Harrogate. That's ten hours of driving I've done in the last three days. You know, it's not easy. But you can fly to Leeds and get a bus from there. You know, I am tempted to do that next time, even though it is a bit more expensive. So, you, the accommodation is pretty plentiful. The restaurants nearby are great. The city itself is nice to go around. You know, go eat at, um, actually, finally, at a Beatty's. Beatty's? Betty's? Why do I keep calling it Beatty's? I did this all weekend. You know, Betty's, which is a kind of sort of tea room. It's world famous. It's in a nice picturesque building. Everything in there kind of reminds me of a kind of a posh Victorian type setting, you know, everybody inside is smart, dressed up, polite, it's all very formal, but it is a lovely place to drink tea, and in our case have afternoon tea, lovely cakes, lovely scones, tea choices that we had, it was just a nice afternoon session for me and my girlfriend, because I haven't been in the last couple of years, and so everyone had been saying, come on, you've got to go eat there, you've got to go eat there, but I wasn't going to go there by myself, oh well, Bring your girlfriend along. So I look forward to next year. I, you know, whether my girlfriend will uh, join me on this occasion, um, uh, uh, Zara, sorry, her name is, and whether she joins me or not, I don't know. That's her choice. 
I'll be happy for her to do so. And that's assuming she hasn't got sick and tired of uh, board games by the time it gets round to that point. So yeah, check it out. I hope I'll see you next year. Okay, now this is going to be a mixture of praise and ranting. It's uh, kind of normal when awards are announced. Yes, the main theme of this episode is that recently the Golden Geek Awards for 2017 were announced. So we've got the winners and we've got the runners-up for various categories. Now, I must admit, I don't pay a huge amount of attention to these sort of things because half the time the audience that's doing it is kind of like... It's kind of a bias as to what people are actually voting on these things. And most of the time, when you look at awards, you just tend to get frustrated because the one you won didn't win. But, you know, I, I at least put my votes in for what I believe should have won each category. I looked at the nominations, and for the most part, it wasn't too difficult to pick something. But on others, it was like, wow, did we just have a bad year for 2017? Because there were some, you know, picks in there which I wasn't quite sure why they were in there or whether, you know, I, I look at them and I go, yeah, well, none of them kind of stand out. I don't know. So, but, you know, here is just my thoughts on the awards in general. So I'm on my PC as I do this. So hopefully uh, with the microphone in its place and with a new silent PC, that was half the reason for the upgrade, I should be able to drown out the PC noise. But uh, if you hear the old PC click or squeaky chair, then I apologize. But let's let's start off with let's start off with the big one, okay? The board game of the year, and the winner was ugh, Gloomhaven. Yeah, Gloomhaven was the winner. Runner-ups were Azul and the Seventh Continent. Now, I'm o I can't really speak about the Seventh Continent because I have not played this game. This was Kickstarter only, and I am not a fan of buying anything that is Kickstarter only. You know, nobody has been able to get this game outside of Kickstarter. I don't think this is the way that games should be sold. I think they should always have a retail release. And I'm just a bit opposed to it for that. But I can't really comment whether it's a really great game or not. I mean, from what I've seen of playthroughs and reviews, it doesn't look like it's all that up to speed. But, oh well, if it's good, it's good. I can't really comment. But, yeah, it was kind of predictable that Gloomhaven was going to win because everybody is going on about that game. It's, you know, number one on Board Game Geek. Don't ask me why. You know, it's not that I hate Gloomhaven, but if you watch my overrated video, the top 10 I did on YouTube, it's just the fact that it doesn't feel any different from any other dungeon crawl I've played. Granted, you've got a different mechanic with the cards, which is not the newest thing ever, but it works. You've essentially taken away a die roll and replaced it with a tiny little deck of cards that you can modify, so basically a custom die tweaked to cards. But other than that, it's a dungeon crawl. It may have a different setting. It's still fantasy. It may have more content. Okay, it's got more content. You're never going to play through it all. But it's just not really anything different. I've played it. I've played it many times. I played somebody else's copy through partway through a campaign. And then eventually I gave up my position and let someone else join because I was just getting bored. You know, it's not that it's a bad game, but it just doesn't feel any different from every other dungeon crawl. The same flaws that I have with dungeon crawls now. Maybe I'm kind of waning off them in general, I don't know. But the same problems I have still hold here. It's too long. Scenarios take forever. Difficulty spikes are insane. There's not really much of an exploration aspect. You know, the, I mean, the first scenario, you're in three rooms. That is it. You know what the three rooms are ahead of time. You know, just not necessarily the people that are in them, but you know the three rooms. So it's not like you're exploring strange new worlds. And the scenarios take forever. 
You're playing like two and a half hours per scenario just to get through a few like mediocre rooms. It's like if it was a lot quicker, I'd probably enjoy it a lot more. But when you've got to consider the, you know, a bit of downtime, the fact that it's more fiddly because of the way the tactic cards work, it's just, it's alright. I, I don't hate the game, but just why all this love? Certainly I would never put it as board game of the year. To be honest, I wouldn't actually call Azul a board game of the year either. I mean, Azul's fine. I gave it a 7 out of 10. It's a decent game, but game of the year? Really? Let's have a look at these other nominations here. We've got... Anachrony, Century Spice Road, Charterstone, Clans of Caledonia, Dinosaur Island, Gaia Project, Lisboa, Near and Far, Pandemic Legacy, Season 2, Rajas, Sagrada, and Spirit Island. Now, I've yet to try Spirit Island, I want to try that one, but Lisboa, decent enough, but I wouldn't call it Game of the Year. Near and Far has been very enjoyable, but again, I wouldn't necessarily say it was Game of the Year. So far on that list, the main ones I would have looked at is Dinosaur Island and Anachrony. Those two, I would have picked one of those two to be board game of the year. I mean, Anachrony has been so much fun as I've played it. Wonderful theme. It is heavy as all get out, I will admit. It's not for everyone, but then Norse Gloomhaven. It's just a solid worker placement sort of time travel-esque game. Love it to bits. But then Dinosaur Island. I might even put Dinosaur Island above Anachrony in terms of game of the year, if I'm thinking on the whole, because it's easier to play than Anachrony. It's easier to get hold of than Anachrony. It's not as costly as Anachrony. It, you know, is more appealing theme-wise to a lot of people, the whole Jurassic Park thing. It's very streamlined for what it is. It's still got a fair bit of meat to it. It's got a lot of variety. The component quality is good. The artwork is a great retro 80s thing. I would probably put Dinosaur Island or Anachrony on board game of the year, certainly above the three that were mentioned there. But, ah, well, you know, there were some good choices in that board game of the year, even if I haven't played them all. So, that's just my thoughts on that particular category. So, moving on, two-player game. Winner, Codenames Duet. Runners-up, Fox in the Forest and Caverner Cave vs. Cave. Now, I've not played the Fox in the Forest. I have played Caverner Cave vs. Cave. I'm a little bit surprised to see it as a runner-up. It was average at best. Really? I'd rather play Caverner. I'd rather play Caverner, the game, as two players, rather than play this two-player version of Caverner. It really didn't seem to me. I don't see why it managed to beat out all the rest. Although, saying that, a lot of the others are kind of obscure or not ones that have gone into much publication. I mean, one of the runners-up was Techno Bowl Arcade Football Unplugged. Has anybody even heard of this game? I've not heard of it. Where did this come from? Triplock? Not even heard of that one. The Cousins War? I've only heard bits about that one. You know, Colonial Twilight, the French-Algerian War. So we're talking one of those uh, sort of war history theme type games as a two-player game. You know, there were some obscure choices here. Codenames Duet, I'm not surprised, won it. And it is a good game. It's certainly my preferred way to play Codenames, although I still prefer to play it with pictures. So, you know, you're having to mix two sets. But other nominations there had The Legend of the Five Rings card game. Pretty solid, just a bit expensive to get into. Uh, Link. The new, um, I forget what it's called, the, the GIF series in that new game. That's pretty sweet. Tack was an interesting two-player game. Um, I've not played Tao Long, The Way of the Dragon, but that looks like something I would enjoy. Uh, 878 Vikings, I've been hearing good buzz about that. Fog of Love, I would argue, is a very good two-player game. The I played it with my girlfriend, and we had a good time with it, even though it took a little while to sort of grasp what was going on with the cards. But it's such a unique game. 
so thematic in the way it's played, but it's just so different from other two-player games. And I would probably say that I probably I would give this the Codenames Duet purely because of the accessibility of it. But I would give good mention to Fog of Love. It's a very interesting two-player game, so unique. This is what is classed as innovative. And we'll get on to innovation a bit later, but for now, you know, I'm happy enough with that two-player winner, just not so much the runners-up. Artwork and presentation, right, now this time I can really get behind this. Winner, photosynthesis, runner-up, Azul and Sagrada. Oh yes, thank you. you know, I well, When I saw Azul as one of the um, nominations and I thought it was going to win, I thought, how oh, dare you. Azul is not a bad-looking game, but let's think about it. The only decent part of Azul is the bake-like tiles, and two of them are just solid colour, nothing else. And the rest have got patterns on them, you know, basic patterns. It looks nice. Yes, it's not exactly the best artwork and presentation we got in 2017 by a long shot. Not even close. Sagrada is a decent looking game, so I'm happy with that to be a runner-up. But we had other ones, I mean we had, you know, Anachrony, yeah, probably not so much for that award. Charterstone? Really? No, I wouldn't give that decent, you know, the best artwork. Dice Forge looks pretty good. Um, Ex Libri, you know, I think Ex Libri's got some really good artwork on there, but again, probably not for everybody. Dinosaur Island? Yeah, I'm not sure I would have put that in here. I mean, as much as I like the art style in it, it's very divisive. I'm not sure this would have ever got to a runner-up stage. Gloomhaven? I mean, seriously, what? There's not really so much artwork in there. I don't know where Gloomhaven's coming from. Lisboa, no way. You know, all that blue and white everywhere. They're so hard on the eyes to look at. It's like, it's alright, but it's still a bit annoying. Near and Far, there's good artwork, but again, I don't know. I would have probably put Near and Far as a, a runner-up on this list. I think that's a pretty solid. Yamatai, that should have at least got somewhere close, surely. I mean, the artwork in Yamatai is sublime. It is such a well-presented game. But, thankfully, you know, Azul was beaten out by photosynthesis. You cannot, there is no other contest with this. Photosynthesis from Blue Orange Games, the abstract game where you are building trees, sorry, growing trees to get sunlight and grow more trees and eventually harvest them to get points. It's a great little abstract game, fantastic little thing, and it looks beautiful. You, just with cardboard as well, you know, you've got two-piece cardboard trees, Everybody's got different varieties of trees. You've got small, medium, and big. You've got the board with the sunlight thing going around. It looks beautiful. And you it just it's like crying out for Instagram photos when you get it up close and you look at this vibrant forest on the table. It's so gorgeous. Definitely worth the winner for this year, and I wholeheartedly agree with the award in this one. Not so much though with this card game one. Century Spice Road won that one. Runners-up, Clank in Space and Ethnos. Now, these two are kind of odd. Ethnos, okay, a lot of it is down to the cards, but it's a board game. You know, it's got area control over this map, which is a pretty big part of the game, so I'm not sure I would call it a card game. And Clank in Space? Really? Just because it's a deck builder doesn't make it a card game. It's got that humongous board with all the busy, fiddly stuff all over it, and who cares? I don't like even... I don't even much like Clank anyway, let alone the space version. So what is that doing in the runner-up? Century Spice Road, I can see why it won, but I I would rather play Splendor than Century Spice Road. And in fact, to be honest, looking at the nominations, Majesty for the Realm is in here. 
That should have kicked Century Spies Road to the curb. Majesty for the Realm is a an excellent card game. Very simple, gateway level, kind of like on that same level of splendor with a little bit of extra meat, good variety, it and much quicker, much quicker and sleeker than Century Spice Road is, because Century Spice Road can clog up for ages. It it outstays its welcome frequently, and I just hate the fact that you're just basically pushing cubes around. I mean come on, cube, cube, cube. I don't care what spice you call it, it's still cubes. Hey. But other ones in here were a little bit, yeah, I suppose it didn't have much competition. I mean, Zeon's End War Eternal, well, we've already had that last year. That's kind of cheating, really. Alien Artifacts, meh, wasn't a fan of it. Clank in Space, bleh. Custom Heroes, meh, you know, not worth it. Fox in the Forest, not played. Fugitive, not played. Herbaceous, nice little card game, but I wouldn't put it as high as this. Jump Drive, meh, it's all right. I'd rather play the normal Race for the Galaxy, really. Legends of the Five Wings, the card game. It doesn't look like that's been getting as much buzz as I thought it would, but, you know, it's there on the list. London, I didn't realise London was specifically a card game, but it's not a game that I'm desperate to play, looking at the box and the designer's name on it anyway. Lost Expedition, yeah, not bad, and Villages of Valeria, bleh, yeah, don't need that. So, yeah, there wasn't a huge amount of competition in card game, but still, no love for, you know, some other card games. I mean, Majesty for the Realm should have had a decent run-in, but... I'm just thinking about the card games. Was there really not that many card games in 2017 to, you know, warrant a card game nomination? I do wonder, really. I mean, what? Nah, maybe it just wasn't a particularly great year for them. But, you know, we're having to stretch the definition a little bit. But I digress. Let's move on. Cooperative game. Oh, yes, yes. Here we go. Another Gloomhaven win. Runner up the seventh continent. Again, can't comment. Pandemic Legacy Season 2 as a runner-up. Hmm. I find it a little bit dubious to call, you know, when you already had Pandemic Legacy Season 1, and then just to basically go, oh, it's pretty much the same game apart from a few tweaks. Let's qualify it for another reward. It's like, no. I mean, I am two months away from finishing Pandemic Legacy Season 2. I have enjoyed it. It has dragged a bit in the middle, but the start was solid, and the ending is getting solid as well. However, I'm kind of done. I would like to hurry up and finish Season 2 of this campaign and get it out of the way. Unfortunately, though, Gloomhaven, yeah, any category that Gloomhaven goes in that isn't doing artwork is going to get, you know, a massive thumbs up from everybody. But looking at the nominations, wow, we did we just have a sucky year for cooperative games? I, I think we did, because I'm starting to see a, a decline in decent cooperative games here. But this War of Mine... Spirit Island, I have not played. I would like to play Spirit Island, so I'll give that one a bit of prop. I'll give that a space. Pandemic Rising Tide, meh. Magic Maze, okay. Kitchen Rush, bit too chaotic and fiddly for my liking, but it's a great theme. Flip Ships, no idea. Dresden Files, it's cooperative in the title, but not a massive, you know, not that desperate for it. Codenames Duet, it's a two-player cooperative game, but I suppose it deserves a place in that list. Zeon's End, again, we already had a Zeon's End, so I don't like the idea that we're re repeating ourselves. Seventh Continent, can't, can't comment. Gloomhaven, okay, fair enough, cooperative. But, yeah, we just didn't have a lot of cooperative games. Oh, yeah, and First Martians Adventures on the Red Planet. Now, yeah, I, for me, it's probably my favourite cooperative game of the year, but it's not saying that First Martians is a perfect game by any means. Certainly, when it first came out, it suffered a bit from a bad release. The updated versions and the tweaks to the app have certainly made it a lot better. I enjoy this game still, 
But yeah, I'd be struggling to put it as top cooperative game of the year. So, to be honest, yeah, I guess we can just give this one to Gloomhaven because there just wasn't a huge amount on the list that was really going to fight against it. You know, just not a great year for cooperative games in my opinion. I would like to see more come out, please. Can we have some better cooperative games? Expansions, what is going on here? Now, I'm all cool with Scythe the Wind Gambit winning this one. But both runners-up were the Terraforming Mars expansions, Hellas and Elysium for one, and Venus Next for the other. Okay, what is going on here? Venus Next has a bunch of cards in it that barely get used. And then Terraforming Mars is basically just another map, with some minor tweaks to where things are on the map. I mean, who cares if the water is over there or over there, it doesn't matter. And some slightly tweaked goals, you know, for the objectives. That's pretty much all Hellas and Elysium is. And that is apparently worthy of a runner-up for the best expansion for the year. Are you kidding me with ham and cheese on top? What is up with this? I cannot believe it. And I'm, granted, maybe the year just wasn't great for expansions in general, but looking at this nomination list, you know, Arkham Horror, a card game, Dunwich Legacy. That's a bit of a weak one to put in there, I'll admit. Just an addition to an LCG. And again, Zeon's End War Eternal. But, between two cities' capitals, meh, not really fussed. Cities of Splendor was a decent enough expansion. It certainly did more to expand the game than the Terraforming Mars once did. Legendary X-Men, it's basically just another add-on to a deck builder. So, yeah, you can only do so much with that. Clank Sunken Treasures, a few more cards, another map, yeah, nothing major. And there are some really obscure ones on here. But, here's some others that really should have had a bit more life. Ticket to Ride, France and Old West. It's a solid map pack. Granted, it's just another map with a tweak, I suppose. But, you know, this one deserved a little bit more credit, I think. Star Wars Rebellion, Rise of the Empire, fixes one of the only flaws that Star Wars Rebellion has by revamping the combat system and yet gave you a lot of good variety for other aspects. That was a pretty solid expansion. Uh, I don't know about the Spirit Island one, um, I don't know about the One Deck Dungeon one either, but here's the thing. I'm cool with Scythe the Wind Gambit winning, I think it was a great expansion. Whether it's worthy of winning the year, I don't know, but I certainly think it should have deserved a place in the top three. But we've got Champions of Midgard Valhalla here. Now granted, I have not played Champions of Midgard Valhalla, but all I hear about this is good things. Reviewers and players of Champions of Midgard seem to wholeheartedly claim that Valhalla basically took the game from being okay and made it fantastic, fixing many of the problems the original had and adding more variety. So how did this not even get a runner-up place? I'm surprised this one didn't actually win. I was expecting it to win because I thought it sounded like it made such a fundamental change to the base game and for the better. But on top of that, where is Sheriff of Nottingham, Merry Men? That was 2017, right? I'm pretty positive it was a 2017 expansion. The Merry Men for whatever it's called. Yeah, Merry Men for Sheriff of Nottingham. Really? That adds several modules that expand the game to great new heights, make it fundamentally better, make lying more, you know, worthy. It even managed to do what I hate in most expansions and add another player and actually make it work. Merry Men is a fantastic expansion for Sheriff of Nottingham, and it's not even in the nominations list. What? You put basic maps and LCG expansions and repeated standalone games for 
you know, as expansion nominations, and you didn't include Merry Men at all. Uh, I call shenanigans on this one. What is up with that? Oh well, Scythe beat Terraforming Mars. Ha <laughs> ha. Oh well. Family games. Let's have a look. Family game. Family game. Family game. We have Azul. Hmm. I suppose I can give it that. It is. It is suitable for a family game. It is a good game. It is well presented. Yeah, it's easy for people to pick up. I, I would give us all credit here. I think that could have got a win. However, I still think there were better choices in that list. Sagrada and Century Spice Road got uh, runners-up. Again, these fit the category. I'm fine with that. We'll go with it. Although, we'll talk more about the whole Azul thing later. However, looking at the rest, Baron Park. I think that's a better game. I really love that. That is great family weight level. Uh, Downforce. Maybe not for everybody, but it's a good racing game and certainly suitable for families. Ethnos was in here. I'm not sure I'd want to play Ethnos with families. I just think there'd be too much in it for some of them. But uh, maybe I'm just underestimating people's intelligence here. Magic Maze, I've not played. Majesty for the Realm, that should have deserved a bit of a, you know, a bit more buzz. Because that's certainly a good family game level. Meeple Circus, I was expecting that to do a bit better. Number 9, I think number 9 is praised loads by some people and not really heard of by others. Certainly, I've barely even seen it around. Photosynthesis, I think, should have deserved a bit more love. That is a great family weight level game. You know, beautiful artwork and beautiful presentations, simple rules and depth within. I'm surprised this one didn't end up as a runner-up, really. Certainly, I would put it over Century Spice Road, anyway. Queen Domino, well, King Domino is a popular family game, so I don't see why Queen Domino shouldn't have done just as well, but no, eh, not in the runners-up. And then you've got uh, Quest for Eldorado, meh, and Rhino Hero Super Battle. I would actually have expected this one to be a runner-up. Maybe not necessarily a winner, but I see Rhino Hero Super Battle enjoyed by a lot of families. So, you know, maybe some families are just playing some of the more heavier tile games, but Rhino Hero Super Battle gets a lot of love from families, so... I expected more from it. But, of course, I can't see whether they came 4th, 5th, 6th, or 7th. I just know that they were nominated. But, Sagrada, yeah, that's, you know, I, I would give some props to that. I would nick off Century Spice Road and replace it with Photosynthesis if you're going to give it to Azul. But, I'm okay with this one. Azul, it's a decent game. It's suitable for families. I'll give it this one. Oh, God, here we go. Innovation. Gloomhaven. Followed by 7th Continent and Magic Maze. Now, Magic Maze is pretty unique in the way it operates, so I would give props to that one being a runner-up. Seventh Continent, I can't really comment, but Gloomhaven. I am sick and tired of this game being regarded as the most innovative game ever. The die, the deck of modifier plus ones and twos is just a custom die turned into a card deck. Nothing else. It is a dungeon crawl. Just change the fantasy setting from D&D to a different style of fantasy setting. Literally, the only thing that is that different in this game is the card system with the tactics that you do for your characters. And even then, I would argue that that is sort of used in other you know, games as well, and isn't exactly the most revolutionary new thing ever. So, as much as Gloomhaven has a lot of content in it, as much as it has variety up the wazoo, and as much as it's a big package and certainly cost-effective if you're willing to spend over £100 on a game, but innovative, the winner of innovation, no. No, 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 wrong. Not what I want to see. 
Looking at the nominations, there are so many other better choices here. I mean, for starters, Anachrony. The first game to get time travel right. The way that you have to do the time travel mechanic to go back in time and give resources to yourself that you requested earlier on in the game. That is such an innovative use of time travel and fantastically well done. That should have at least been a runner-up. Azul, really? Innovative? Why is Azul innovative? What is so different about Azul that would require it to be innovative? I swear this definition of innovation is stretched beyond belief here. Uh, Charterstone, well, we've kind of seen legacy games already, although technically Charterstone is less legacy and more just build your own euro, so I suppose that should have at least been a nomination. Dice Forge, custom die, chop and change, we've seen that before. Magic Maze, like I said, give it credit, near and far fine. I would have said, you know, pretty innovative with the way the book works. Not sure I would call number nine or photosynthesis or even Sagrada that innovative. Spirit Island, can't comment. This War of Mine, can't really comment. Sidereal Confluence. From what I've heard, it's a very unique game, but it doesn't look like one that I would want to play. It looks like it would just get too convoluted and be too long, and it's one that I'm kind of avoiding, really. But I can't really comment. I do think, though, from what I've read about it, that it deserved at least to be nominated. But Fog of Love is in this nomination. Why did that not even get runner-up? Why did that not even win? You find me another game like Fog of Love. Fog of Love manages to be one of the most unique games I have ever played. This is the sort of thing that I class as innovative. It is a very experimental style game, and I think it pulled it off nicely. It's not the best game ever, no. But if we're going to talk about pure innovation, it is hands down far more innovative than any of the three that were in the winner and runners up there. Hands down. No way is Gloomhaven that innovative. End of story. <sighs> Moving on. How many more have we got to do with these? Uh, we've got one. Well, I'm skipping some of them. Um, uh, let's see. Party game. I'm not going to talk much about this one. I think this was pretty uh, spot on, really. Uh, Werewords was the winner, followed by Spyfall 2 and Tortuga 1667. I wasn't aware Tortuga was even a party game, really, but the box cover is so boring, I never wanted to play it. But, you know, looking at what else is in here, I mean, Drop Mix, Go Nuts for Donuts, Leaders of Euphoria, Muse, One Night Ultimate Alien, Pit Crew, Secrets. Yeah, there wasn't that many good party games this year, I think. I think Werewords is probably the best of the lot, so hats off to uh, Werewords. It's in my collection, and the Deluxe Edition looks pretty swanky. Print and Play, not interested in Print and Play, so I'm going to skip that one. And a Solo Game. <sighs> Gloomhaven again. Then Seventh Continent, again. And then Nemo's War. Okay, like I say, can't comment on Seventh Continent. Kickstarter only, I've already explained. But, you know, other ones in here. What do we have? A Gaia Project? Mm, it's alright, it's a decent enough solo mode. Hostage Negotiator? I still think that's a really cool uh, solo game. I'm surprised that didn't get more love. One Dick Dungeon? Mm, Sagrada? Meh. Spirit Island? Well, I need to play the game first, but... Yeah, I don't think there was many amazing solo games this year, so I can see why Gloomhaven kind of won out, but I want to give him more love to Hostage Negotiator, really. And certainly over things like Tiny Epic Quest and This War of Mine and Super Hot, a card game. You know, I like the Super Hot Steam game, but a card game, really? Uh, oh, I'm going to get on to these next two later, but... um. We've got War Game, I'm skipping this... I, I, don't, I have no interest in War Games, so skipping... 
Best podcast, I'm skipping. I listen to only a select few podcasts. I only have so much time. You know, there were some good choices in this nomination list, you know, but I'm not going to pass judgment on whether some should have won and should not. You know, it's not my place to say. Uh, and then best board game app. What was best board game app winner? Scroll down. We have Through the Ages, winner, winner Through the Ages, runner-up on Nyrim, and runner-up Race for the Galaxy. Yeah, I could probably go with that, actually. Onimum is a solid app. It It's almost made my card game redundant. It will get DLC for the expansions, but it just the fact that it shuffles the deck for you is enough reason to give this thing an award. It's just so clean, so easy to play. It is frustratingly hard to beat, but yeah, this one deserved credit. Race for the Galaxy, hmm, okay, I can think of better board game apps from this list, but I will give credit to Fruity Ages. Fruity Ages may be not my favourite game in the world. I may still prefer Nations to Fruity Ages, but I will give this one credit. And so much credit that I actually want to play the Steam version when it comes out later in March on for my app playthrough videos. I want to actually go into it and run through it for you guys. But the app is sound. I mean, I don't even know why you would want the board game version anymore, as nice as it is. You really just should use this app. This app is amazing. It is one of, probably, I can't think of a better way you could have implemented something like Fruity Ages. It's really solid. And this is coming from me who thinks the game is overrated. So this is praise. Praise coming from me. I have to accept it is a solid app. Looking at the rest though, well, we got Seven Wonders. Well, it's a reasonably good app, although it still needs a bit of tweaking. Uh, Jaipur, decent enough app. You know, Mysterium, uh, Potion Explosion, uh, Imperial Assault, Terra Mystica, uh, Takedo, all of those are pretty solid apps. I mean, Takedo is a very nice, pretty one. Uh, Potion Expansion Explosion works pretty well. Terra Mystica is solid, you know. And some of these I'm going to go through for these videos, so you know you can look forward to be playing them soon. But yeah, I'll give this one the fruity ages. Well done, well done for you there. So let's get on to two that is definitely going to get my blood boiling: Strategy and Fanatic. Winner of Strategy Game: Gloomhaven. What a shocker! Runner-up Clans of Caledonia, and runner-up Azul. Now, first off, Gloomhaven. Strategy game? I don't call a dungeon call a strategy game. I don't think this category works with, you know, Gloomhaven. I think this has just been put in by people because people just want to see Gloomhaven win every, con you know, thing on this award list, it seems. So, yeah, get that off. Clans of Caledonia, it's decent. You know, it's a decent enough game, bit dry. But it, it works for this category, and I think it deserved the runner-up space. Azul. Really? Azul is not a complex game. It's a pretty simple, lightweight game. You know, you pretty much play the exact same way every game. You know, you're just trying to clump up things. It's more about the hate drafting than it is the sort of strategy of what you're doing on your mosaic. But you've already put this in family games. And then you're going to put it in strategy games? That doesn't make any sense. I don't see why that or Gloomhaven should even be in this category. Especially with some of the other things here. I mean, Anachrony, definitely a heavy strategy game. That one should definitely have got more buzz. Uh, Charterstone, no. Dinosaur Island, that should have definitely been in there. Why is that not a winner or a runner-up at least? Seriously, shenanigans. Ethnos, it's too light for a strategy game. Gaia Project, it's decent, but it is basically a remake of Terra Mystica. It seems like cheating to me. Don't know about Gentis. Uh, Heaven and Ale, don't know. Uh, Pandemic Legacy Season 2, no, that's not that's not what I would put in a strategy game. 
Rajas, don't know. Spirit Island, don't know. Twilight Imperium 4th Edition, that's cheating. Ew. Uh, but Lisboa, yeah, Lisboa I would certainly see in this category, and I could give it props. I mean, it's not my favourite of Vital Lasurda's games, but I still like it, and I still think it's a heavy strategy game. So I would have rather seen the top three being some combination of Anachrony, uh, Clans of Caledonia, Dinosaur Island, and probably Lisboa. I would have loved to have seen those four duke it out for the top three spaces, and I would have been perfectly happy with whatever was chosen. But I just think this was a faff. This whole this whole category was just a faff. Gloomhaven and Azul should not be in a strategy game category. Thematic games. Let's end this with hopefully a high. Oh god. <sighs> Winner. Oh yeah. Do you really need me to tell you? Gloomhaven. Of course. <laughs> you know, the Seventh Continent, of course! And runner-up, this War of Mine, the board game. I've not... Oh, I'll give War... This War of Mine is a very thematic game. Very dark, very gritty, but I'll give props. It's very thematic. That deserves to be a runner-up space. I'll give it that. We have seen fantasy settings in dungeon crawls all the time. It's not anything wonderfully more thematic. And the Seventh Continent can't really... Sort of comment, but it didn't seem that thematic when I was watching playthroughs. Now, at least not like to the extent. But looking at the rest here, near and far, fog of love, dinosaur island, anachrony, wasteland express delivery service, kind of a bit odd, but I'll go with it. Spirit island, that's pretty thematic from what I've seen. You know, did none of those get more love on this list? You know, there are some dubious ones. I mean, Nemo's War, yeah, I suppose I could see it here. Pandemic Legacy Season 2, no, I don't. I wouldn't put that here. Tiny Epic Quest, definitely not. Twilight Imperium 4th Edition, cheating. And I, Godfather Corleone's Empire. Oh yeah, The Godfather is a wonderfully thematic game. Yeah, the fact that it has literally zilch theme to, tied to The Godfather, you could literally have called this The Space Monkeys, uh, you know, um, Ape of the Wind Empire or something. I don't know, stupid name. And it would literally be no different. You know, The Godfather is such a pasted-on theme with this game. It feels slightly, you know, akin to a gangster-style game. Yeah, but The Godfather bit is completely wasted. And you're going to put that as a thematic game? No, not happening. But Dinosaur Island, Fog of Love, Anachrony, all of those should have deserved more love. I mean, Dinosaur Island is wonderfully thematic. The amount of sort of tiebacks to Jurassic Park and dinosaurs in general and building a theme park, it's wonderfully thematic. Fog of Love. The fact that it condenses a love's comedy into a card game and actually gets you doing these scenarios with your partner, that's definitely thematic. And Anachrony, need I say more? Time travel done right. You know, these ones should have deserved more love. So, that's kind of it, my thoughts for this Golden Geek Awards. I'm a bit disappointed with a lot of these categories. And I know it's just my opinion, you know, I'm not talking gospel here. Everybody can have their own opinions and, you know, well done to those who did win. But, yeah, I just think Gloomhaven took way more categories than it deserved to. And I do think that there are some dubious choices for nominations here. You know, 2017 was certainly not the best year for board games by any means. You know, I, it was one of my weaker years, I think. But some of these expansions, some of these things that are family or strategy games, things supposedly thematic, you know, and even what qualifies as a card game seems to be brought to question. It's, yeah, I, I just think these awards 
I mean, I don't place too much emphasis on the Golden Geek Awards. They're just there and they're voted on mainly by users of Board Game Geek and very select few anyway. So, yeah, it's not an award that I place too much emphasis on. But it's interesting to read, interesting to sort of get my thoughts on it. And, uh, well, hopefully you've enjoyed the praise and the ranting, probably more of the ranting side that I've made on it. So that's it for this podcast. I think it's time to wrap this one up. Sorry for the delay in the last one. I will do my best to get this back on the one a month deal that I was doing. And if you want a shorter podcast, maybe I can do it more often. We'll see. But for now, I've got to get on with other things. I've got videos to record. I have got the uh, solo app playthrough thing to get on with. You know, there's plenty to do. Normal service of the Broken Meeple is going to start resuming as things, you know, settle down in the rest of my life. It's been a bit of a bumpy February but hopefully the future looks bright for March and April so that's it for me on the Broken Meeple Podcast thank you for tuning in thanks for those who said hi during Aircon I'll see you at the next convention which will probably be Stabcon South uh, at the end of this month I'm also going to be doing a couple of charity events uh, this Saturday and Sunday for Dice Portsmouth and Home Coffee in Cosham you'll see me there teaching games as always and then after that, I will also be attending Uncon, you know, the Darius-owned uh, convention, which has had a bit of a facelift in terms of its size and scope. I look forward to going to that convention at the end of April. So I'll hope to see you guys there for some quality games. That's it. Take care. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you on the next Broken Meeple episode. Thanks for listening. You can find the official Broken Meeple page at brokenmeeple.blogspot.co.uk. From this central hub, you will be able to find all my written reviews, both on my site and on guest websites, such as Zatu Games and GamesQuest. You will also be able to check out my top 10 videos on YouTube, as well as my reviews, and look back at old podcast episodes, all from this one page. You can find my page on Facebook, and my Twitter handle is at TheBrokenMeeple. If you want to come to my board game club in Portsmouth, you can check out the Facebook or meetup.com page for Portsmouth On Board. Again, thanks for listening, and don't forget, no matter what situation you get into, remember, it's still only a game. Take care. You're listening to the Dice Tower Network. If you like this show, you might like Blue Peg, Pink Peg, or The Snakes Cast. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com.